Welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And as always, joining me here this evening is Monty. Monty, are you ready? As always. Okay, so first up. Are Arsenal better without pressure or with pressure? Without Question number two. Do we need to see Trossard as our number two striker? No. Interesting. And finally, number three. Did Kai Havertz do any better than he did against Newcastle? A little bit. All right, good stuff. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. We're going to dive into all of that just in a moment. Well, first things first, Monty, thank you for joining us here on a Wednesday evening after a really positive result, but also a really positive performance. How are you feeling after that result? Relieved, I think is the word I'd use, looking at the lineup pre-game. Yeah, I was, was when I saw it, I was expecting... um, not as dominant performance as what we did. Let's just put it that way. That wasn't, actually, I don't think dominant is the word I'd use. Imperialistic is the word I'd use. They, we enforced ourselves. We literally, they, they, they didn't fret a single moment in the game. I, I, I don't remember them really getting a clear cut chant. Um, that was yeah, it was great. I feel great. We are now well, the top of the Champions League. We're obviously going straight into the knockouts. Um, yeah, and we saw some good performances, some um, some good play. I think Martinelli Saka, amazing, amazing. I don't know what happened in the last few days. I don't know if they were just annoyed or angry or whatever, but they they were off the they were just flying off the races straight off the bat. So yeah, I'm feeling good. How about you, Farhan? Yeah, very positive. I'm feeling really um, relaxed as well. I think this was one of those games where we didn't need to do a whole lot of analysing. I found myself, for the most part, with my feet up, just enjoying a game of football. And, you know, I can't remember the last time that we were able to do that. Um, One of the questions I asked you was, do Arsenal perform better under pressure or playing without any pressure? And I feel like this game was... um, an example of what we're capable of doing when there is minimal pressure. I think going into this, you know, we're hot favourites, we're at home, we're top of our group. Um, and I guess to some extent there was a bit of pressure to, to win so that we could qualify. But I think the boys knew going into this that this was a, a night to relish. You know, Champions League night, it was really dry out there as well. Um, and, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to start nitpicking on the effects of different weather conditions but it feels like a 
Wednesday or Tuesday night playing under the lights in dry conditions is what every player dreams of um, when playing in this competition. So yeah, really, really happy. Uh, I'm, I'm getting the impression that this episode, we're going to be doing a lot of individual um, analysis as opposed to talking about the game as a whole, because mm-hmm. it was very, very one-sided. Um, you know, Severe were, were, I guess, quite happy to sit back and, 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 and try to make the most of whatever chances that we would gift them. Um, but yeah, a routine victory mm-hmm. and nice to see that uh, other teams, uh, <coughs> United, um, <coughs> other teams in the Champions League from England are, are, are not capable of um, replicating that calm and composed um, performance. Mm-hmm. Also worth mentioning that, you know, you, you have to remember this is a team who's, for a lot of those players, are debuting in the Champions League. A lot of them won't have known how to prepare themselves mentally, psychologically for a Champions League game. And they're doing such a remarkable job of it so far. On the flip side, you look at other teams like United with players of so much experience, so much ability, and yet they are crumbling. And so, yeah. All in all, a very, very, very good night. Mm-hmm. Let's start off by talking about the starting lineup. You mentioned it at the beginning. You were, um, I'm guessing, a little bit concerned with yeah. the number of injuries mounting up. Again, no Odegaard and Ketia with a knock. No Jesus. Um, no party. No, no party, obviously. obviously. I don't think we'll ever see party again. <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, talk to me about your 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 thoughts about the starting lineup and um yeah how you thought we were gonna line up going into this game well uh, to be honest looking at the availability of the players that we had um i didn't expect uh sort of a dissimilar uh team um maybe perhaps ramsdale or someone in i don't know because it's kind of a least pressure game um I mean, I was surprised by the Nketiah knock. So when I heard that he was um, he was out sort of about an hour or so before uh, the lineups come out, I was then thinking in my head, hmm, is Havertz going to finally get a nine? I, mean, I know a lot of people were talking about is Havertz going to potentially be a striker in this game. I never really thought he would. Um, and then I saw Trossard <laughs> with Haikai Havertz. That gave me worries, but it also gave me, it kind of piqued my interest. And I'm sure we'll go into it because the way that they, the, the roles that they both played were very dynamic. Um, and they were, they were, there were sort of clear cut instructions that the one was sort of a false sign and one was a second striker, like the shadow striker. Um, and they both had very different uh, roles to what they had to do, but they both did it very well, um, which was, which was good. Um, looking at the back line, Tommy Asu starting. Um, I like that. I'm not sure why he came off at half time. Um, but it's good to see him on. I think he I think we well, we spoke about it many times on the pod. I think he's been excellent the last few weeks. I, I very much think he deserves to be in the first team. Um and it was up to Zinni to put in a performance to prove that he deserves to be in the first team. Uh so now there were my worries. Um the midfield, Jorginho. To be honest, he actually had played a good game. So I was worried going into the game, but you know what? He just did a, a, a typical experienced veteran of the game. Um, he just, he knew what his job needed to be done. He did it. He he didn't um, become under pressure of the game. He's played in much bigger games than this. 
and he used that experience and he just calmly sort of orchestrated uh, the midfield today, which was which was um, just good to see. It's good to see that we've got the depth and we can rely on him. Um, Declan Rice. Again, we say this, we say it every week. It's going to be a broken record. Rolls Royce, Rolls Royce for player. Whenever you see him on the team, the lineup, you always have confidence in the midfield. Whether dependent, no matter who he's paired with, you always have a sort of confidence with Rice in it. If Rice wasn't in there, I think this is a completely different game. Um, so that was a that was a positive. Backline was solid. Didn't really expect any changes there. But there were just overalls going forward because what we saw from the Newcastle game and what we saw in the West Ham game, there were some similarities um, with them. So I was, yeah, I, I didn't expect us to be as imposing in the game, but I was pleasantly surprised. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I don't really know what else to add to that um, other than, to be honest, going into this game, I, I was I was very uninterested by the starting lineup. I think mm-hmm. at this point, having, you know, lost two games on the bounce, it didn't really matter to me who played. It was a matter of just making sure that we put in a good performance just to raise the confidence a little bit more. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm eager to have a conversation about why it is that Arsenal are able to play this confident brand, this um, attractive, flair, you know, dominated, um, stylistic way of playing football in the Champions League in over the last two games, actually, um, as opposed to when we look back against Newcastle. And I know the two oppositions are very different and the two games are very different in the sense that Mm -hmm. Severe were very much on the back foot. They were playing in a low block-ish. Newcastle were very front-footed, very aggressive. But the tempo and the level of intensity, they were drastically different like Arsenal were just so mm-hmm. slick so um I don't know how, what what word to describe it I think it's imposing <laughs> yeah just just very they're just very snappy you know yeah um and against Newcastle it seemed like we were tentative and I'm yeah I'm, I'm interested to know why that is is it a case of pressure is it a case of individuals just turning up for the occasion is it that it's the champ it's the champions league and players just get up for yeah. the competition more than the premier league what do you think it's down to i think it's a bit whilst of, i nibble on a harry bow <laughs> i think it's a bit of everything to be honest um regarding sort of um champions league i mean this obviously we wanted to win it because to guarantee the spot we didn't have to win it um Sevilla, on the other hand had to win this game um Otherwise, they're now bottom of the table um, and they might not even end up in the Europa League at this stage. Um, so it's, that, that was I was very surprised by how they approached the game. Um, the first couple of minutes, I was confused. But from our perspective, um, I think there's a bit of everything. I think today, even though on paper, I was a bit sketchy about the lineup. When I actually saw them play today, on a, on a characteristic profile level, there was a lot of balance in that team. There was actually quite a lot of balance um, and the way that the roles were moving, especially that Trossard-Havertz uh, relationship that was going on with with um, Trossard playing the false nine and uh, Kai Havertz coming in as a second striker and dropping into that 10, um, worked. Worked seamlessly. That they We basically got the ball, kept getting the ball narrow, drawing them in, and they, they, they wanted to keep the game compact, drew them in with those two players, roll it out to Jorginho, who then 
whip it up to Saka or it would go to Rice, whip it up to Martinelli or it would go to Tommy Asu, who was already up there with Martinelli and overlap. Like we were able to just overload them. I think just on a profile basis, the balance was there. And I think we've seen that all sort of season. We've had, I mean, last season we had a dead set 11 at the start of the season and we were doing so well. This year we've had a lot of changes, a lot of chops and changes. I think Arteta is still trying to find out what the best sort of second team is or or like the, what the right sort of um, partnerships are going on so he can rotate within the squad. Because um, the pressure of the situation, it's the Champions League. I don't I, like as a professional player, I don't care what game it is, who you play or where it is, you should never have to be get motivated to play a Champions League game. It, it's it's a it's a game that you, it's games that you dream of as a child to play in in these games with that with the lights and the the music and everything it, uh, you shouldn't have to get up so i'm not i don't think it's too much on the pressure side um because we've also seen moments where we've been under pressure and we've been able to to come through and get two goals in the last 5 minutes we can do that and they can really i think the main thing today was the balance which i didn't expect before before the game um like Jorginho in the midfield was just solid um he with experience calm head was able to look up and not panic um and then you had Declan Rice who was just just non-stop all game up and down up and down dribbling passing tackling intercepting everything he was like um like a like a what do they call him uh libero like in the midfield like it was like a segundo basically kind of character character was just up and down up and down up and down um and then you had kai havertz who was going who was shifting up the line and then trossard i mean we're gonna we're gonna talk about trossard because he done stuff today i've never seen before um especially in that first 15 20 30 minutes he was just everywhere i mean like the ball would get knocked out to the wing uh with saka and he's there collecting the second ball and i'm like huh I'm like, you're supposed to be a striker. And he's out there with Saka doing one-to-one interchanges, passing it. And he was just constantly everywhere. And he was picking up all the scrappy pickups. And yeah, I just think today was, um, the reason we played so well was just the team fit. The team just fit. There wasn't an outlier. There wasn't a player today who looked out of place. Like, uh, for instance, if I think if Vieira started, let's say Vieira started over Havertz per se, I think we would have had a very different game. Just personally, and 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 it's actually given me giving some credit to Kai Havertz. I think he did have a good game. Still frustrated in score though. I mean, he had ample, he had opportunities to 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 score or at least assist. He didn't get there, but to be fair, apart from that, solid, solid. So I think that I think that's it. I think mainly it was just the balance today, personally for me. Mm, okay well we'll talk about individuals in a lot more detail as we I guess dissect the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Stop, let's, let's start by talking talking about the first opening 10 minutes. So for me, good start. Um, mm-hmm. I, I noticed immediately Martinelli work, working the wide areas, oh, yeah. um, winning the corner in the opening 10, 15 seconds. And then Havertz with a really shocking miss. Free header at the back post and he squanders it. And from there on, it was kind of just, the I guess, um, that same theme of just missing chance after chance after chance. Um, we will talk about Havertz and we will give our thoughts on how we felt he did. I, I, I'm, a, I'm on the kind of opposite side of the flank or um, maybe differ a little bit from your opinion of him. I think he grew into the game, but 
ultimately there were far more moments, worrying moments or mm-hmm. moments of classic Havertz, um, yeah, Havertz-esque moments than yeah. good ones. But yeah, we can talk about that um, a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, f- I felt like the partnership between Jorginho and Rice quite early on seemed to lack a bit of fluidity. Both players just weren't in this on the same wavelength. It grew as the game went on, um, but I think we're yet to find an adequate partner for Declan Rice. Jorginho is great in his own right. I said this in the last episode, but I just, I feel like in order for Jorginho to thrive, he needs to be left alone. He needs to be playing as a sole central midfielder because he, what he does really well is just keeps it flowing, keeps it moving. And he's really, really good at allowing the passage of play to build mm-hmm. um, and build in a, in a really nice fluid manner, you know, whereas other players like, Kaiavitz, for instance, he plays the simple passes, but those simple passes are often a little bit too simple or they Mm. lack a little bit of imagination or they lack a little bit of the pace on the ball. Whereas Jorginho is like, he picks it up. He he knows what he wants to do, where he wants to move that ball on before he picks it up. Kaiavitz, on the other hand, picks it up. Then he makes the decision as to where he wants to move it on. Um, But yeah, in the first opening 10 minutes, we were great. You know, we were plenty of chances. Um, there was one with Bakayo. I think uh, Bakayo Saka delivers the ball into the box. Gabriel not really getting a clean contact on it. We have a wasted effort. Um, but yeah, it, the, the intent seemed to be quite clear um, from the first moment. Very nice passing, very good intensity. All players were very keen to get on the ball and get it moving. Mm-hmm. Severe on the other hand, as you said, I was really surprised to see them as defensive as they were. Like, you know, sitting off, not applying any pressure on us. And that's credit to us and what we've made the Emirates to be, which is a place to be feared. Um, So, you know, I'm hoping it continues that way. But yeah, all good stuff uh, from me in the opening 10 minutes. Do you have anything... um, else that you wanted to say about the 10 minutes? Yeah, no, I think it was, um, like you said, electric start. Uh, Saka and Martinelli both just running amok, really. Um, I mean, Martinelli, what, what was the uh, centre-back called? Janal? Janal? I can't remember the guy that played for Sevilla. Oh, yeah, he he committed like he, three fouls in the opening 15 minutes. He didn't even get booked. He got fight. turn over and over. And I was, I was noticed as well with Sevilla, like we we had them rattled. Like like you rinsed there. They could have had Jean like... Louis. They could have had, no joke, like three cards in like 10 minutes, but they didn't. And do you know what? Do you know what? I'll give my credit to the ref today. Even though his set piece calls were sus, like he must have got two, like loads of throw-ins wrong and like three corners wrong. But allowing the play to go as it did, I liked the game. It was flowing. It it was was an exciting game to watch. I'm not going to complain there. But there were definitely some moments where he could have definitely thrown a, thrown a card. Uh, so we had severe rattled at the start. And uh, I think it was interesting what you said about um, Jorginho. He keeps the game flowing. What I've got written here compared to sort of Erdegaard, with, with Jorginho, he sort of connects the dots. Whereas like a player like Erdegaard draws the dots. He he mm. literally, he can go in between the lines. He can 
put them. He see he maps it out himself. Whereas Jorginho, like you said, he he keeps it flowing. He can turn, he can pass there, roll it there, boom, 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 boom. He never really keeps the ball for that long. He, he does not a dribbler. He's a mover. He he constantly keeps the ball moving. So uh, but that was what we needed. I think that's what we needed because because he was doing that and we were moving quicker, it was putting Sevilla out in out in into positions that were not advantageous for them because they were definitely trying to keep the ball compact and they were trying to disrupt our speed, but they just they just couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. And um, yeah, for that first 50 minutes... Quick question yeah, before you continue. Do you, do you think we need to see, or do you think it's time that we see a Odegaard, Jorginho, Rice midfield? Because I don't think we're yet... To, I think we're yet to see that combination, aren't we? Do you know what? I, I would like to see it. I think that'd be a good. I think that, I think that'd be quite solid. From what what we've seen from Rice, don't get me wrong. Rice is probably one of the best sixes in the game. Like he's so he's so good at tackling. But we what we've seen with him, like game after game, he can go forward, he can make the passes, and he can also tackle. Like he is a he would be a complete attacking eight. I mean, he's already he, he's already played eight multiple times in his career, but he's just better at holding. Um, so I would definitely see that. I mean, you've got the experience. If Jorginho at the back being able to to pepper and spray the ball out to the sides and whatnot, then you've got Erdegaard creating the opportunities and you've got Rice directly running at them. Sounds like a balanced midfield to me, doesn't it not? Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking that, yeah. yeah. It'll be it'll be I mean, it all dep- it's all dependent on the opposition and the circumstances, mm. but when you've got three players with three different profiles, but each complementing each other, it's it seems like a no-brainer. So hopefully, hopefully there's something that Arteta can give us a taste of. We've got Burnley next um, at home. Another really good opportunity for us to rebuild on that confidence before... Well, the, we've got the international break in between that and Brentford. Um, but yeah, I'm mm-hmm. eager to see what he does going forward um, against Burnley. Um, sorry, I, uh, you were, you were going to continue. Yeah, before I no, no, that was, no, that was pretty much it, really. I was just talking about sort of those first 15 minutes. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just electric. We, we dominated the, the, we instantly got the fans on our backs, which was good. Um, they, they were instantly supporting because they were enjoying what we were watching. We had opportunities straight off the bat because I think we've both said it on the pod multiple times. Arsenal, and I think there was a, a report on The Athletic or Sky Sports, I'm not too sure, and they were basically saying sort of Arsenal, are they better or worse this season one than what they were last season? And they were mentioning that we're not as, as explosive off the gate anymore. Um, I personally mm. think that's down to we've just earned more respect and people don't don't try and outplay us off the bat and they actually try and sit back and soak up the pressure. Um, but that, hey-ho, it's, 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 it's however you want to interpret it, I guess. Um, but this today was off the bat, off the bat, straight. It was like being back from last year. Um, we wanted to create, wanted to pose, wanted to score early, wanted to secure the game, it looked like, um, sort of in the first 45 minutes. Um, and I mean, yeah, we had this sort of, the, the creativeness, the flair, the confidence um, to create those and take the risks. I think what, what we're saying at the Newcastle game, we just weren't taking any risks. It was like we were, we were, don't get me wrong, Newcastle were a good team, but we were respecting them way more than what they would needed to be. We, we were treating them like they were Real Madrid, like with Viniscus Jr. and Valverde running down us and Jude Bellingham in midfield. They're not. They've got Callum Wilson, who's a good player, and Anthony Gordon, but they're no Viniscus Jr. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, and we gave oh, that him, comparison. Yeah, we gave him, yeah. <laughs> gave him, gave him like so much um, respect 
to be fair. Uh, whereas Sevilla, I, I, I think we knew we were going to beat them. Sevilla have been awful this season. Like, for instance, like, don't get me wrong, Sevilla are a solid European team and they've earned that respect in their Europa by winning it so many times. But they've been awful this season. They, they've been genuinely awful this season. They've, I think they've only won like four games this season or something like that. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, and like, I mean, like, for instance, if they come to the Premier League, they'd be like in the bottom. I'm not joking. The way they've been playing, the way yeah. they played today, like Bournemouth would give them a solid game. So, yeah, I was so, expecting. What do you think it comes down to then with our wingers? Because I, I don't think I've seen such an explosive performance from, in particular, Martinelli, but also Saka than I did against Sevilla. Mm-hmm. It seemed like they were just, uh, they, they had been unleashed. You know, it was like up until this point, they were kind of chained up or they were limited. And now we just got to see the full force of them. Nothing sort of phased them either. Like Martinelli at some points of the game had two men on him, but he managed to still deal with it. Bakayo Saka on the opposite of the flank had Kai Havertz as a support, uh, as a supporting act who yeah. is, you know, virtually, which virtually makes him invisible at, at most of the time. Sorry, I don't mean to be harsh, but when I was watching the game, Saka pretty much did it all by himself, yeah. despite having Havertz isolating himself. Um, and yeah, it just, it made me think like, what is it about these two that we're not quite getting in the Premier League or to be fair, maybe just in, you know, odd games like Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know, maybe, I, I think it is across the 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 games in the Premier League. Um, surely anyone watching that game themselves will know if we let ourselves play with that sort of freedom, we will, you know, petrify um, defenses. Is that a word? Petrify. That is, yeah, yeah, petrify. Yeah. Did I use it in the it's, right context? When you, yeah, when you freeze them, they get like stuck. Petrified. Right. Okay. Good. Yeah. So. Surely Martinelli and Saka will know if they're able to play with that sort of freedom, with that mm-hmm. flair, with that confidence, opposition teams will be really scared and afraid and will probably give us a lot more respect than they do now when they're when we're, you know, we we are the ones who sort of free f- freeze up, play it back, mm-hmm. not take our men on. Can you give me some sort of an explanation? Yeah, and I'll go back to the one of the first points I made at the start of this pod. It was the personnel. It was the personnel today, which uh, really gave, and I was writing it sort of in that, especially that 15 to 30 minute window. I mean, Trossard was doing kind of like what I've seen Emil Smith-Rowe do in the past. He's, he was just everywhere. Um, he was able to overload on the left. He was then cutting it back inside. He was chasing the 50-50s. Um, and then with Havertz, when Trossard was stepping out, Havertz was stepping to that nine role. Uh, and that was basically keeping the centre-backs honest and and stuck. And like you said, petrified, like stuck in the middle because you've got this tall, imposing guy in the middle. Although, yeah, he hasn't scored whatever, but you still have to mark him. Can't just leave him completely wide open. So that was that was bringing him, making him go tight because we had those two sort of like, we had the shadow striker and the false nine. He was just sitting there. But Trossard was acting as sort of, um, how could you really say it? Because what Trossard does compared to Nketiah, and you know I love Nketiah, he yeah. has, he has... He's he has a lot. He has like a fresher creativeness to him. Like he he can link up the play in between. He can do those those cute little one 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 twos that Erdegaard that we see with Erdegaard. You know when he when Saka will come in, he'll drop it to him, and then Saka will then run across, and Erdegaard will one two it round him. Saka will pop it back to Erdegaard. It'll go to Ben White, and it'll go back to Saka. 
Ninketia can't do that. Uh, whereas Trossard was able to run across and create those create those triangles. He was able to create those patterns. Um, so that definitely helped Saka. And I said this in the in the pod. Saka suffered massively because Erdegaard wasn't in that game, and Ninketia wasn't able to bring him in. Um, it mm. doesn't work when 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 he's not there. If Gabriel Jesus was there, we may have been able to connect him, but not on the right level. Uh, with Martinelli today, um, because those two players, when it, when it went over to the left, we were seeing it. Martinelli wasn't getting any overlaps uh, much in the game. But that was because when he was open, that's because Trossard and Havertz together were, were basically freezing that back line. They basically froze that back line. They, they had to make them mark them. Um, so it, it became one on one. And then you had uh, Tomiyasu as well pushing up. He was keeping inside of the their right back. Yeah. Um, so it, it was just a honestly it was just personnel today um and i think honestly going forward as like a, a not necessarily a b team but to know if you had to like we know like if you had to rush your early guards or whatever and they're injured that worked today it really worked and um the only thing i'd say especially with how it's like we saw him waste opportunities but because his 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 stature and um he, he's actually quite a, a big guy like he's quite imposing and the way that he moves mm. he's quite um a visual like when you watch him move you actually you can see him visually on the screen uh, when he's moving so he on on the pitch he must be quite like a dominating force in your eyes um on top of that what you had today especially on that left side of martinelli did you feel like he he it was like a kid in a in a park I, 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 Martinelli, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, those are the exact words that I used when I was talking to my brother. He just, or I might, I might have said it to myself. He, yeah, he literally just looked like he was enjoying yeah. himself, as if he was having just a kick about. Those dribbles are not normal dribbles. Yeah. You don't play those kind of dribbles in the Premier League because there's far too much risk. And you, when you were when you were comparing Trossard to Enketia, that's the first word that came into my head: risk. Who wants to risk it more? Mm-hmm. Trossard or Enketia, and the difference between those two is that Trossard just wants to risk it more. Trossard is willing to risk it more. Enketia is far more. He's he's far more eager to make sure that he doesn't make fatal errors that will number one, I guess, knock his confidence, mm-hmm. and number two, um, you know, it might might get him. <laughs> Of course. Lower on the pecking order. Of course. And I, one of the words I use today is, um, I think like, especially because of the freshness, like so, especially with Martinelli, this season we have been way too rigid and I quote, open quote, professional, close quote. Um, like mm-hmm. it, it, like we, like I said, it was, it was just refreshing to see Martinelli do these plays. It was like a, a year nine versus a year seven at school. You know, he was just like bullying. He was literally bullying his his defender, taking on two people at once, getting on the byline, whipping it in. Like in that first half, we could have potentially scored like four goals. Um, they were just able to to clear out the crosses uh, and have a miss a couple, but it, he got he, he did all right to get in a position. So I'll give him that. But like, yeah, there was just a freedom today. There's a freedom today, and if we can get this going forward, I think we'll have a lot. A much better season. Don't get me wrong; we're already having a good season, um, but we will have less. What's the word? For, I'm trying to think of the word for it. It'll be a lot seamless, more seamless. I think if we can start playing like this a little bit more, take a little bit more risks. Mm. I think sometimes we play a little bit too safe, and it actually becomes a detriment to us because what we do, yeah, we keep all the possession fine, but because we're not taking risks, we get complacent because we get safe in the way that we play, and then we get counterattacked. 
boom, like that. And it's like, oh, we haven't played this. Where if you play with a bit of franticness, you're ready for to, for a frantic return, if that makes sense. Like when a character yeah. comes, you're ready for it because you're already playing a bit on edge and you're not static. You're, not, you're constantly moving. Um, so yeah, it was just it was just different today. It was a different day. And like you said, I think with uh, with Trossard, he brings something completely different to Ninketia. Now that's I'm not saying he's better than Ninketia, um, because in that game, it worked. Whereas if Erdegaard was playing, I I don't th- I think Trossard would have struggled. I think he would have struggled because he was trying to fill in the gaps that Erdegaard would have already been to, and they would have kind yeah. of got in gone mm. each other's way. Um, but if that was a uh, Niketa in front and Erdegaard's there, he would have been perfect for Martinelli on the right. Uh, you'd have Tomiyasu overloading and Niketa just constantly getting in there, maybe with Rice or whatever. It, w- it would have been a much different game. But yeah, it's just personnel. Personnel. Yeah. What about you? Is there anything but- you can think to add on? No, I was just I just wanted to say that the beauty of having Trossard there is that he he doesn't need to stick to his position. He's not going to stick to his position mm-hmm. because the nature of Leandro Trossard is to be at the right place at the right time, and that doesn't necessarily need to be as a centre forward to stick to your position. It's you know where if you need to shift out to the left or the right or come in deep, you can do that. He can do that. And Ketia doesn't have that same sort of um, what's the opposite Mindset. word for discipline. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have that same sort of, you know, relaxed approach. He's mm-hmm. he's far more focused and ready to pounce. Mm-hmm. He, he's ready to run in between the lines. He's ready to take those opportunities whenever he's fed through. Um, whereas Trossard kind of epitomizes what Jesus did last season, which was interchanging between the three. And that gives so much freedom for the wingers. It put, it, it takes away so much pressure off their shoulders knowing that you have not only your midfielder playing with you not only your fullback making um you know overlapping runs or or sitting beside you on the inside but you've also got a number nine there as well as an option to pull defenders out of position to open up pockets of spaces for you to exploit well i think that's so so important yeah i think that leads leads up to the goal as well um yeah and do you know what's an interesting stat I was reading? So all five of uh, Trossard's goals for Arsenal in all competitions this season have all been assisted by Bakaya Saka. Saka, yeah. That's crazy. That's mm. crazy. That just shows that the togetherness, and you can see that they knew where each other were. And let's not let's not retract away the pass from Jorginho, by the way, to to bring Saka through. That was a ball. That was an absolute ball. Um, and to see it that quickly, loved it. Um, and like you said, he, Trossard was looping outside and then all of a sudden he cuts inside before the pass is made to Saka and then he makes that space. Like you said, Niketia wouldn't do that. I don't think that pass, that type of, we haven't seen that type of goal with Niketia in the box. Niketia is not like a, a guy you can interchange and do the one-twos with. He's the guy that you pop it into the box and he picks up the 50-50 or the, the second ball. Um, so that was good. And also another stat as well, Bakaya Saka, which I just thought was just a bit interesting, was um, he is the first Arsenal player since Cesc Fabregas in 2007 and eight this season to uh, score and assist in consecutive Champions League games. Wow. That's mad. That's mad. It doesn't and, surprise me at all, but yeah. And considering like people are saying, oh, Bakaya Saka has been off form this season. <laughs> He's had a, yeah, he had a bad game against Newcastle. Doesn't mean he's off form. This guy is well. I, I guess for Saka that is off form. He's so good that if he goes, if he if he underperforms one game, you know, it's eyebrow raising time. But mm-hmm. 
he's he is he is in a league of his own. He is very very close to um, world class that top echelon elite level. If he's not there already, he's he's touching distance. And yeah, I mean, you know, he got an assist. He got a goal. Um, that first goal that we scored, a brilliant threaded ball from Jorginho into Saka. Um, but the weight on that pass from Saka, because let's not forget, we've been in those areas of the pitch for a lot of the time this season mm-hmm. when we're when we need to release that final ball. It doesn't it doesn't always go right. Sometimes yeah. it's overhit, sometimes there's too much height to it, sometimes it's under hit. This time Saka makes the perfect pass. Um, and then Trossard just needs to stroke it. He doesn't even need to stroke it. He just needs to make contact with it, just guide it, which he does. Um, and it's 1-0 Arsenal. It's a really, really marvellous... Like, it's, it's a wonderful goal. It is a really nice, attractive, sort of typical Arsenal goal that mm-hmm. we um, that we used to see. And um, So Arsenal 1-0 up, and despite scoring, we're still pressing for the second, playing really competitively. Um, and Saka still, you know, just making himself available to, to, to get on the score sheet. Um, but as, as far as first halves go, I don't think there's any more to add. Oh, so... I'd say I, I got a couple. Yeah, I, go on. Go on. No, I just think, especially after that first goal, like you said, we were pushing for that second. There were a few moments I picked out. Uh, one of them definitely being Kai Havertz. Now, I know we can pick it on him. I'm not trying to be rude. It's just what I saw. It's just what I saw. Mm-hmm. And I definitely could have been better. I was just seeing him make, making very odd movements, especially with the Saka overlapping. Like he was sort of like overlapping Saka when he should have just dropped back or he was yeah. dropping back when he should have overlapped. He just wasn't quite reading it right. And he was like passing back when he could have played Saka through on into the line on the one twos. Like it, it, it was baffling. Um, and I'm not sure if it's maybe because he hasn't played that right midfielder role before. But him and Saka were just not on the same page today. It was Trossard who was able to do the links. Kai Averts and Saka were just on a completely different wavelength. Another one who I love the performance today, and I love him every week, Saliba. Rolls Royce. <laughs> Saliba. Like, he, even though, like, so there was that moment sort of in the second half after our goal, they they had the sort of a, a run at goal. Did, at any moment, did you think, oh, I, I can tell you now, I didn't. Because I knew Saliba was tracking it. This guy is so fast. He's so strong. He's so smart in terms of his picking his angles. And he's so composed in any situation. Like, he doesn't make a reckless tackle. He, do, he, he never gets yellows. Like, this guy is the most complete defender I've seen in a very long time. And he was just solid today. I mean, the fact that we didn't face a shot in against us until the 96th minute and 20 seconds in, stout. They only had two touches in our box the entire game. And that was vastly down to the fact that when they got anywhere near the box, when you had Jorginho suffocating them and Saliba and Gabriel, they just, they physically couldn't, the midfielders couldn't see an avenue to pass down. It was impossible. Um, on top of that, especially what I think was the reason that we dominated the ball so much. We had a super high press all game. Uh, I mean, mm. anytime, and I'm, I remember once I, I actually paused the screen. So uh, one of their, their goalkeeper had the ball. They rolled it out to their right centre-back um, and then they rolled it out to the right back and then they rolled it back to the centre-back. I looked on the screen, there were six Arsenal players and there were only 
four Sevilla players. Four. We completely outnumbered them in their defensive half. And because you've got the Gabriel and Saliba at the back and they're very wide, and because they're so fast, they can cut inside anyway. They, you're not getting through. They physically couldn't get the ball out. They just couldn't get it out. They were suffocated. And what they did is they kept going back to the goalie. He kept kicking it and he kept kicking it to the sort of to his left, to our right. Uh, and that was going to Kai Averts. It just kept going to Kai Averts and Jorginho. And it's like, you're not going to win a header against Kai Averts. He's huge. He's huge. And when it went to Declan Rice, he would just get the pick up the ball and run it 20 yards. So it was, it was, um, I think that was one of the reasons as well. We just we completely dominated on the press today. They they had no they had no room. They had no room. Every time they got the ball, there was someone on it. Um that was one thing I did like about Kyver say his pressures was on point today. I'll give him that. Um Trossard as well, just on it. Martinelli. Martinelli, to be fair, on his off the ball pressures wasn't as good, but he made up for it for the fact that when he was on the ball, he was electric. So I I will let him off. Um Saka is the same though. He was great on the press. Um we had Jorginho even stepping up. Declan Rice was stepping up. Tommy Yasu stepped up when he had to and Martinelli was dropping back when he had to. We just we impose. We impose, especially going into that second half. Because normally what happens to us is like we'll start winning, we'll get a goal, and then we'll just like drop our, we'll get a bit complacent. We're like, we get into this kind of um mindset that we're safe almost, or that it's the game's done. And we didn't do that. We, like you said, we tried to go for the second goal, didn't get it until the second half. But um, no, it was good to see. It was good to see. And it was purely down to the press. That sound can only mean one thing. We've arrived at the halfway point of the show where I'll be taking you, Monty, and the listeners into the second part of the show where we'll be discussing the second half but also I want to continue um, discussing a few individuals that you've mentioned um, starting off with Kai Havertz let's have a chat about our good friend Kai Havertz <laughs> we paid £60 million for him and we are yet to figure out where he fits in this jigsaw puzzle I'm going to tell you why I have the hump with Kai Havertz and you know, cool. I, I get I get quite I get anxious when I talk about him because I don't want to be labelled as a negative fan or I don't want to This is a safe I don't, space for Yeah. I, no, I know, space. yeah, of course. You know, we're here to, to provide um therapy. high quality therapy. So, mm. you know, I want to be open and honest with everyone and I and I don't want to be um closed off or keep anything hidden. But just you know, generally speaking, me as an Arsenal fan, I am super pessimistic, uh, sorry, optimistic, super optimistic. And I want to give everyone as many chances as they can get. Um, I think we have a very, very good squad of players, unlike a few seasons ago when we had quite a few toxic personalities. You know, you had the Ozil, Kalasinac, um, Mustafi circle, then you had mm-hmm. the French circle, then you had this, that, and the other. Now we've, we've, we seem to have ironed everything up, but here's my hump with Kai Havertz. This season, we are, we're, we're in, we're in pole position or we, we, we've set ourselves up to be in a, in the driver's seat for the Premier League title. Um, there hasn't been a better time for us to challenge for the league than right now. And every spot on that team sheet is so 
important. It has such a drastic impact on the result, on the performance, on everything that there's, there's no, we don't have any space to experiment, to dilly dally, to, you know, let anything slip. Every man on that team sheet needs to be perfect. And that's why I had the issue with the Ramsdale decision because Ramsdale for me was perfect. I mean, you know, as, as, as in terms of a complete squad chemistry wise and, um, you know, no player is ever perfect, but for Arsenal, I felt like Ramsdale was perfect. He brought everything to the table. He did everything that he needed to do. He, there was an energy, there was an aura about him, which added extra security to that defensive side. It costs like 50 million as well. Yeah. And with, with Raya coming in, it was just a whole bunch of confusion, which, which didn't need to be added. There was a great article written by someone from BBC Sport, which said, you know, Arteta has bought this un, not unneeded problem on, his, on himself. Worded a lot better than how I've put it. But he's, he's basically created this problem without needing to. You had a goalkeeper who was, you know, fantastic. Um, who had you know the the second most or the third most clean sheets in the league last season? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I'm digressing from my point. But my problem with Kai Havertz is that he's taken up a really pivotal spot in the team, and it's come to the detriment of players like Emil Smith Rowe, yeah. players even players like Jorginho, players um, who would have otherwise had game time had it not been for him. I don't blame Havertz. I don't blame the you know amount that it cost. It's the club that made the decision, and ultimately, um, it's the sword that they'll fall on if it all goes wrong. But for example, against Newcastle, we needed someone a little bit more assertive, someone with a little bit more directness, creativity, mm. someone who's going to be a little bit more bullish everything that Kai Havertz wasn't. That's what we needed. And those are the small margins that could give teams that little bit of edge, which pushes them over the line. Havertz today was, he was given another opportunity to prove himself, amples of opportunities to get on the score sheet. At this point, he needs to score goals and he needs assists. I'm sorry. I understand that here's a player who's lacking in confidence, but here is a player who costs a whole lot of money, who's come from another elite club. He's won the Champions League. He's won the World Cup. He's won it all. There is no excuse right now for him to underperform at Arsenal because otherwise we're undermining ourselves. Otherwise we're, 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 we're promoting the message that here at Arsenal Football Club, we give everyone amples of opportunities regardless of their quality. We have no standards basically. And the more I see Kai Havertz on the score sheet, the more I question, what is it that Arteta sees in him? Or what is it that Arteta is trying to get across here? Is he just trying to desperately make it work? Or is there something more to it that I can't see? Is it the aerial part of his game, which is um, something that we can't replace at the moment? Is there, you know, something that he's working on, which is necessary for Havertz to be on the pitch? I don't know. I I can't see it. But just like you mentioned um, a few moments ago about his lack of presence with Saka on the right-hand side, I, I made a note of it. You know, it just shows I'm, I can't have been the only one that saw it. 
Bakayo Saka had was was excellent in that first half. This is exactly what I wrote, and I'm going to find it for you because um, I think it's important. Arsenal pressing for the second, playing really competitively, despite the lack of support from Havertz. Saka has done brilliantly, and that's me watching it live mm-hmm. in real time. So I can't be the only one who's seeing this. There, Havertz didn't need to work incredibly hard. He didn't need to do anything extraordinary. He just needed to get the basics right. And that's what he was doing wrong. Not making those runs on time, not making himself available. Very, quite often, you know, isolating himself in groups of severe shirts. Um, there is a confidence issue. We know that. We can see it. But... We can't squander this opportunity of winning a league title based on getting Havertz to play at his best potential, you know? Mm-hmm. That's my rant about Kai Havertz, and that's what I think I, I saw today. <laughs> I don't know if you want to add anything or if you want to challenge me on anything about that. But necessarily, I mean, on that point on potential Arteta season him, like... Do you know what? It's going to be a weird analogy, but he he kind of reminds me of something that's been repaired by duct tape. Like it <laughs> it works until it doesn't. Does it, I don't know if that makes sense. Like it mm. it, will, it will do the job. It will do your job. And but when you really yeah. need it the most, it will give up on you. Um, that that is how I ex- can sort of describe Kai Havertz in a moment. But also in saying it I'm um, don't get me wrong I'm, I am I'm, pr- I'm pretty checked out with Kai um, but I really do want him to do well he shows yeah. his glimpses like he can he he can do good things he, one game he'll do the most amazing off, off the ball movements um, he'll be able to touch the ball down like perfectly and turn around and pass in whatnot. and then other games he'll just be an absolute mess um, and then sometimes when it comes to the final third, he has no confidence. He never takes a shot. And when he, and like when he does it, it he doesn't even, but he doesn't believe that he's going to score it. So it, it, it tends to end that way. Um, so that's like my run. I, I haven't really got much of run because I mean, I've spoke about Kai Havertz enough, but I wanted to actually add a, add a potential devil's advocate, not a devil's advocate, but just my, my little hat in the, hat in the, my ticket in the hat um, with the Ramsdale situation. Cause I was looking at it. And obviously, like with uh, Rayo, we haven't actually bought him. It's a loan. Um, but what I'm seeing, because obviously we're not seeing Ramsdale's leaving, we're not seeing any of this, Ramsdale's like, is what I, what I think is happening is, I said it does believe in Ramsdale, he thinks he's a good player, but thinking about Rayo, Rayo is a, he's a people pleaser. He is like, he will do exactly what the manager says to the T. Whereas Ramsdale's got a bit more risk about him. He will do like those passes, but that's not what Arteta wants. So I think Arteta's making an example of Ramsdale as, as to say, this is exactly what I want you to do. Because I believe that Ramsdale can do what Ray is doing better if he actually did it. Does that make sense? Because Ramsdale will make those risks. He will take those long passes. He will, whereas Arteta doesn't want you to do long passes. He wants you to pass short every single time doesn't matter how much pressure on he wants you to take that short pass every single time because when you're under pressure as a keeper that means that someone is not on a player out the field so you need to make those passes because the player on out the field will be able to turn and get in a better position so i just think he's he's kind of just making making that i don't know that's that's just me i was just watching it and the more i sort of think about it because i'm not hearing any bad things from ramsdale's pike entourage do you know what i mean if it was the case of raz coming in complete replacement I can't imagine Ramsdale being happy about it. We would have definitely heard some news by now. 
um, where he, I can definitely see him maybe wanting to just um, take on some of those things, take on some of those traits. But yeah, that, that I haven't really got much of a rant on other players. I think, if anything, there was um, some praise on some players as well. Um, I think, well, we, we all just spoke about Saliba, spoke about Trossard. Trossard was great. Jorginho, do you know what? Fair play. Fair play. I think he was, he was just great. We don't even need to talk about Rice. I, I think with Rice, and that's still, still today, it baffles me. Out of every big money signing, he is genuinely, I think, the only person whose price tag hasn't been mentioned that I can think of. Because he's that good. It, it, it never gets mentioned. It doesn't matter how much. He could have been, he could have come for 200 million. It would have been worth it, in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? He would have been worth it. Mm. Um, whereas we speak about Kai Everts, his price gets mentioned every single day because he hasn't done anything to prove it. Like, he's, he's got Do you feel like it. I'm being too harsh on Havertz? Because I feel, nah. sometimes I feel like I am, but sometimes I feel like, well, we. how can I be too harsh on Havertz when he hasn't shown me an ounce of... Okay, maybe I'm being harsh. He hasn't shown me enough for me to be... to give mm-hmm. him the benefit of the doubt because... I will give you the bet. I will give you as many chances as you need. So as long as you're showing me that you're worth it, but Havertz is just nothing about him. Just gives me any bit of confidence that he will one day come good. Well, when you put it into this way as well, when you think of the price that Kai Havertz came for, James Madison went for mm. less to the other side of London, um, well, the other side of North, um, and he's doing a fantastic job. And I, I still to this day don't know why we didn't go in for that deal. Um, so when you when you consider the numbers, if Kaiavets came over for twenty five million, I don't think we would be on his case as much. Mm. I just don't think it is. And it's when you add in the fact that like Spurs did get Madison for what was it fifty fifteen? Not even that. I think it was like was it like fifty two million or forty five million? It wasn't. It wasn't that much. Um, and it was less. And he's doing a lot more. And he's completely changed their whole team. Now, if we had James Madison and Erdegaard in the midfield, that is with, a, with Rice at the back of it. Whatever defence you're up against, you're getting ripped by Saka and Martinelli because trust me, those two players will find them. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's my question with him. I don't think you're being harsh um, and I understand that a price tag isn't his fault. Um, I think the club would just stupid to pay that anyway because um, he's just done nothing to to be worth that much anyway um, but you have to be harsh you have to be able to take stick as a player and the fact is he doesn't believe in himself like we yeah. could try and back that's him that's the biggest issue yeah we could we could try and back we can believe in him but the fact is it's like if you try and help someone who's sick right you can't really do that like I'm not talking like physically sick obviously you can do it you can go to a doctor's but I'm talking like if, if someone who's like mentally got issues going on you, you have to help themselves like you can assist them you can push them into the right things but at the end of the day only they can help themselves um, and I'm not sure what we can do or what more we can do to to get him over that lump because he's been given so many opportunities and he had the same thing at Chelsea like you said at the start you said what is his position What where where, where have I seen that before seen that for yeah. two three seasons at Chelsea he still couldn't find position he was a striker then he was a midfielder then he was a striker again then he was a second striker then he was a midfielder again then he was a striker then he was a this guy the guy's an enigma he's an enigma um, but I, I I'm, I'm not gonna berate him too much because I think we've done that enough for a few weeks but I, I yeah. do want him no, to come uh, well 
I do. I, I just do think, I he, think had he needs a... the right character next to him. And I think what yeah. I saw today with Trossard, it was giving me a lot more hope. It was giving me a lot more hope because of the way that they were working. I just think if you were going to have it, I think um, it's a case of having someone else on that right side. Like if you're going to have that Trossard and Havertz in the other guy in midfield, instead of Jorginho, have Rice in that six and Erdegaard on that right with Saka. Because Havertz, to be fair, on the left side wasn't actually too bad because uh, he was able to hold that guy and Martinelli was able to get free. That worked. On the right side, he was completely on the wrong page of Saka. Um, but what what I saw of him and Trossard, the way that they were moving, even though they weren't necessarily passing to each other in a match, the the movement and the way that they were possessing their space, b- but knowing each other where they are, was was a good sign. It was a good sign. So I just think for him, he just needs the right person around him. But don't put him on the side of Saka. Not again. Yeah, yeah. To be fair to him, I need to give give a bit of credit where credit is due. He did have a better second half. You know, he had a strike on the edge of the box, which just went wide, which was good. It mm-hmm. was very un Havertz like. You don't expect him to be taking on those types of opportunities. It's a perfect space for him to shoot. Um, so I felt like he was he was he was slowly growing into the game. You could see him start to make the runs off the ball into open spaces, getting a little bit more involved with the build up. Maybe his confidence was rising a little bit as the team was. Um, you know, continuing on with their performance. Because I think what's what's more important for a player's confidence is to have his teammates performing at optimum level. And as you mentioned, Arsenal have had this really bad habit of leading in the first half, going into the second half and allowing their performance to just drop, Mm -hmm. which adds, you know, massive amounts of pressure on everyone. Um, But eventually we do get the second goal, which puts the nail in the coffin. I guess up until that point, Sevilla had a little bit of hope but let's be honest, they were never really in the game. Um, talk to me about this goal. What did you like about it? Do you know what? Just the the sheer confidence in Saka because people have been saying, like, oh, he's not messy, he's been himself. So he maybe, maybe he's overtired. We haven't really seen the best of Saka. He basically held his middle finger up to everyone, um, assisted and scored today, um, which was great to see. And it was just typical Saka. It, it was like he's we've, <laughs> still Saka, do you know what I mean? He was able to just cut inside, trick a player, get it across the keeper, pinpoint accuracy. Um, the way that the team worked as well around it to, to generate it um, and draw players out, it was, it, was a, it, was, it was a wonderful goal. It was a wonderful goal. Uh, it was wonderful to watch. Um, and it was good to see Saka back scoring um, as well because he was just flying at the start of the season. Had a bit of a few games where he wasn't necessarily at his best. I don't necessarily think that was all his fault. Um, like we said, I think it was some personnel issues. Um, but it was, it was a beautiful goal. Um, I'd love to know what you thought for on a, on like a deeper level um, thing, looking at it. I don't know if there's anything deep to dissect about that goal other than an incredibly well-timed pass and a, and a very confident bit of move, bit of skill from Saka. Um, I do think the, 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 the finish itself was, again, a testament to the player because it's, it's not an easy finish. It, not only does he cut in on his left so seamlessly, so, you know, uh, confidently, uh, yeah. but... It's, it's, it's the sharpness of the finish. It's, it, you don't, you, you know, there are, there are finishes from great, really good players. You know, you can, I guess you can always differentiate a good finish from a great finish. They can, but even though they both look identical, one of them always stands out from a player who 
is above everyone else. Mm-hmm. It's like when we look at finishes from let's 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 compare to two Arsenal greats. Let's say I hate to say it, Robin Van Persie and Thierry Henry, both in their prime incredible finishers of the ball. Mm. But Thierry Henry always had the edge because something always just felt different with his finishes. Yeah. It was just, it just oozed class. It it was, yeah, you know, he he made those finishes. He, he knew he scored there's before a reason he shot them. Why, yeah, there's a reason why players compare themselves or want to compare their game to him is because he, he did it in a way which no one, no other player can can do. I don't know whether it's, um, I don't know whether it's a perspective thing. I don't know whether it's, it has a, you know, the the the, the personality or the man has 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 a, has a part to play in it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the same goes with Bakaya Saka. You know, funnily enough, after the final whistle went, the way that he was carrying himself, the way that he was just winking at players and just looked so calm and assured Mm -hmm. of himself it was that sort of uh uh yeah that sort of uh cut above everybody else which differentiates his finishes from everyone else it's not the finish itself it's the personnel and it's the way that he does it with everything else involved yeah, definitely. I think sense. one of the interesting. Sense. I think one of the best points you said there as well, uh, regarding sort of the comparison. Um, obviously, had like the Van Persie. He was a great striker. He was a clinical. He was like a surgeon. I would call him like a surgeon. He was just very professional. Whereas Henri, professional but entertaining. I think the main word was mm. he was pure entertainment, and that's what you get from Saka. You get the same sort of vibes. Um, obviously, he's still got a long way to go to get up to the heights of of Thierry Henry, but he is an entertainer. Uh, purely he he's entertaining to watch you watch him even when he plays for England there, there, there's not rival fans out there who genuinely dislike Saka I, I, I would beg I, w- I would beg to differ like, I would speak to anybody and I bet you they all like if they're like, English or whatever they like Saka he is just an entertaining player to watch and that's what you get with Martinelli as well and they were both entertaining today and like you said they have that different like you said with a, a good and a great finish when he was when he took that shot, you knew it was going in. You, you, you just knew it was going in um, because he had that confidence in him. He had the confidence, and he keeps the ball so close to him. He's tricky, and he never even looked at the goal. He never even looked at the goal. He just popped it in, whipped it over, cut it, cut it over, goes straight in. And it's it was a great goal to watch. It was it was a great goal to watch. It was entertaining. It was just pure football, really, and um, in its purest form. Which is and originally it was just for entertainment. That's the whole point of the sport. Is it's an entertaining sport to watch and you play for the fans. And that's what we saw today. That is what we saw today. And it's not like a say, yeah. you never see an Nketiah do a shot like that. He, he like you said, he was he's like he pounces on things. He he's sharp. He will do like the Robin not he's not obviously he's not a finisher like Robin Van Persie, but Robin Van Persie never really did those like tricky, like cut inside, blah blah blah, do a player. He would just he'd get a shot and bang it into the corner. That was what he was, that is what his job was. That's what you kind of get with Nketiah, like while the Sheffield United corner picks out to me where he comes with his guy, he sees the 50-50 and just smacks it straight in. He's just clear. Saka wouldn't do that. Saka would probably get the ball, touch it down, bring it onto his foot, make it a little bit insane and whip it in and it could look good. So, I mean, it's just two different types of players. Two different types of players. It's funny, it's funny you mentioned that because as I was watching the game, I was asking the question to myself, how is it that a player on so much money, someone who's still so young and raw, still be able to play in the way that he's playing you have to be 
super like unfazed and super naive about life to be playing like this. It, you know, everything should be stacked against him. The fact that he's on high wages, the fact that he's so young and the fact that he's got so much pressure to perform every single game for Arsenal Football Club, the fact that he's having to try and walk the same tightrope as many of the legends have at the club. But for some reason, he is he seems to isolate himself and put him in this bubble of just as if he's at school, just with his mates. And mm-hmm. I guess that's the that's you know, you have to give credit to the Arsenal Academy and to the way that we're nurturing some of these individuals. It's, it very much seems like we've created a culture where it's less about elite football and it's more about having fun mm-hmm. playing the game and appreciating that as opposed to trying to be super ultra competitive. Because last season, we outperformed everyone because we weren't playing at a competitive level. We were playing mm-hmm. at our level. Yeah. We were playing football the way we wanted to. It wasn't a, and, and 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 it showed when we played against your cities, when we, you know, we, we got turned over twice because those are the games that we needed to play competitively. And those yeah. are the games that we suffered. When it was when it was time to turn up the heat, when it was time to deliver in those pressurized environment, we faltered. And I don't know where we are now, but it seems like that severe game is a reflection of how we were playing last season for the majority part, which was mm-hmm. without pressure, Agreed. which was enjoying the occasion, which was just playing our game. We're in the Champions League. Enjoy it. And of all the games that we played, bar the Lons ones, because I think the occasion got the better of us, you know, in that atmosphere as well. We've relished all of them. Yeah, no, definitely. And the, the key word to say is saying having fun. I remember when I used to play um, well, American football for me, but the coach would say, go out and have fun. Go out and have fun. Because if you have fun, nine times out of 10, you're winning. Because it's not fun losing. It's it's just not fun. But if you play, like like to have fun, you will tend to be winning because you take the risk. You just, you're going out there and you're working for the team and you just tend to just want to enjoy it. Um, and you don't let the occasion get to you because when you, like you said, you go back to being like a school kid, you take all the pressure off. You're just, you're just you with your mates. You're just, at the end of it, you're just you with your mates having fun. So um, yeah, that it, I, I agree. I, I would agree with you and say that sort of today was a sort of a, a re a rehash of what we were doing last season. Um, but like you said, we need to have those moments where we can flip it and 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 shut the game down. Learn to like when when do we need to minimize risks? Uh, when do we when do we shut up shop? How do we create more? That those are sort of things I need to worry. Um, we need to look at, and it kind of leads into sort of the end of the game really, because the way yeah. that we closed it off is brilliant. Um, with especially with Zinni coming in, I remember seeing this one move that he did. I think it was probably around the, the 79th minute, 80, 80th minute. I can't really remember. But Zinni came in, intercepted this beautiful ball. Um, like it, it just came in. It was a great ball, but the way he saw it already happening before the player even did the pass, got into position, it tackled the ball, got up within two steps, three steps, whipped it all the way across behind two severe players who were already committing forward, whipped it in behind them in the perfect spot so they couldn't even get it, straight to Rice. Rice then goes down the middle, he's running, and then we get an opportunity from it. We didn't score, but those sorts of things, like the, the, the alertness, the sharpness from it, and Zinni, to be fair, he did, he did great coming in. He did great coming in as well. Um, and that's a, it's a good position to be in. We've got Tommy Asu, who's amazing. He was great today. We had Zinni, who's also putting in a great performance and was able to dictate and make the passes and technically gifted. And I think even a commentator's mentioned that he's 
almost too technically gifted to be a defender. Like he should be, he should be allowed to have an opportunity to at least uh, play in that eight role, that left eight mm. role, or maybe in the right eight role when Erdegaard's not there because he is technically gifted enough to do that. Um, and he can see those passes. Um, Martinelli was unstoppable all game. Even in the 90th minute, he was still still running relentlessly. Um, I think the only, and it kind of leads on really to, uh, I think we're going to, well, no, we're going to, because we won today, it's going to be good, 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 and bad, isn't it? You hit the nail on the head, Monty. We mm-hmm. are indeed at that part of the show where it's time for good, 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 and bad. So, Monty, I'm going to ask you for your good moment first um, before we move over to the good, good moment. Yeah, uh, my good moment. Do you know what? It wasn't even one of the goals. It was genuinely Trossard in the first half um, and his just electricness and desire to want to get on the ball. It was refreshing to see. Um, and it, it it sort of opened me up to a game of Trossard I didn't really realise he had. Uh, so for me, that was a good moment just because I, I saw a, a profile in a, in a player. I didn't really notice that he did that. So for me, that was my good moment. My good moment comes from the opposite end of the pitch. Um, in our defensive half, there was a moment where Sevilla were put through on goal. I'm not sure who the man was running. And you know what I'm about to mm-hmm. say. William Saliba chasing him down. Um, puts in an incredible sliding tackle, which sends the ball straight to Raya. It was one of those typical Saliba moments. He's got so many of those moments. We could probably make a montage, of a dedicated video, like a 10-minute video on him. Isn't he only like 21 as well? Or is yeah, he 22 yeah. now? Let's have a look. Saliba, I, I think he is he's still he, 21. He honestly plays. No, 22. He 22. honestly plays like he's prime Sergio Ramos. Or like a yeah. primed, like um, like Thiago Silva. Do you know what I mean? He has so much experience, even at a young age, because he played those seasons at Saint Etienne and and um, OGC Nice and stuff like that. He's just a baller. He's a baller. Like we've got a Rolls Royce player, here, and I'm so glad he went on loan for all those years. So glad. Made him a much better player, more mature. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So that's my that's my good moment of the game. Mm-hmm. Give me your good good moment. Good good. Uh, I am going to go for Bakaya Saka's goal. Um, I know we spoke about, just spoke about it was class. It was just, it was just a class finish. And I was stuck between the first goal because the team work that was involved in that first goal and the slickness of what it looked like on the eye was pleasing. But I'm going to go just purely off the class from Bakaya Saka uh, to be able to keep the ball so close, work inside the box, trick it out and, and just calmly finish it. That, that was my good good moment for the for the for the game. I'm going for the opposite end of the flank, which Oof. is Martinelli, and nice. not one particular moment, but every moment that he saw the ball, he was brilliant. He was here, there, everywhere. You know, they could not deal with him. The poor fellow who was trying to mark him eventually ended up chopping his legs as the ball went out which, you know, summarised for me how well he had done. There was a cheeky smile, a cheeky exchange between him and um, the, the player, I forgot his name. And, you know, I think he, he, he made a cynical foul. Martinelli just head up, gave him a little grin <laughs> as to say, yeah. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got, I got you. you, yeah. Literally. So, 
Yeah, he was he was excellent. I I just want to see more of that though. I, I really want to see him replicate that against Burnley. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see the same sort of performance from both Saka and Martinelli, and hopefully, um, uh, you know, goals from both of them. It was a shame that we didn't get a Martinelli goal or an assist. It's um, but yeah, it's, it's Burnley coming. on the weekend is coming. coming. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, finally, I'm sorry to have to ask, but please give me your bad moment of the game. Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's not bad. Um, but Saka at the end of the game, um, potential injury. I mean, I don't know why Arteta didn't just sub him off earlier. He was clearly like hobbling a little bit. Just take him off. We're winning. Um, that was my bad. I'm really hoping it's not long term or because uh, it, it was a non-contact uh, injury. He didn't get contact in it. It was sort of non-contact. So, I'm hoping it's just a potential little light knock. I don't mind if he sits out against Burnley. Um, I'm just hoping it's not bad. That's my bad moment. So, Mikel Arteta on Bakaya's Saka injury, he says that it was just a kick. I was told by the physios that he wasn't happy to continue. He had some discomfort, but hopefully I'm going to assume he's going to be okay. I don't know how accurate that quote is. It's just been put up as a random account on Twitter. Um, But I think we should be okay. Hoping. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Um, I I don't know what to pick as my bad moment. I feel like I've kicked Kai Havertz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've kicked him enough. I don't want to kick him whilst he's down. So I'm going to go for my other moment where I had my eyebrows raised, which was Raya near the end of the game, almost finding himself in a bit of trouble. Um, comes out to claim the ball, but then decides to retract. Actually, it was Saliba who 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 didn't win the aerial duel. It was against Mariana. Mm-hmm. He'd just come on. Um, there was a long ball put forward and Saliba kind of half jumps. I don't think he even makes an effort to get to the ball, but the ball goes in behind. Um, Rhea was sort of coming towards the ball, then stops. A little bit nervous, but... Yeah, nothing to nothing major mm-hmm. to be to be concerned about. So that is my bad moment of the game. And so it's time for us to say goodbye. <laughs> I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point. Thank you very, very much. If you did enjoy this episode, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you thought of the show by reaching out to us on Twitter. You can find us over there at Arsenal Therapy. You can also find Monty over there at Monty underscore official underscore. And you can find myself over there at Gunnarsense96. As always, we'll be back in not too long, in a few days actually, to give you your usual weekly dose of Arsenal Therapy. If you can't wait until then, make sure to head over to the Arsenal Therapy YouTube channel. Um, the 15-minute show will be continuing as soon as Adam's back. And I think he will be back soon. He, he enjoyed a game mm-hmm. um, in the Naples actually today tonight he did um, funny enough he, he went, actually he went to watch spotted Napoli. the spotted the um, the foul didn't he they were yeah we didn't even talk about yeah, that we didn't even yeah, talk that's... about that yeah the fact that they were given a goal for well they were disallowed a goal because of a foul mm. that looked exactly like the one on Gabriel against Newcastle but you know that could be a very big can of worms yeah hopefully when he's back he can give us a live um, an uh, analysis. We know he's uh, he's our expert um, tactical 
analytics person, so he can break it all down for us once he's back um, on the 15-minute show. And also, um, make sure to head over to the Arsenal Therapy website for the blog posts, where we'll be breaking down our thoughts and feelings um, and much, much more. So, until then, take care, have yourselves a lovely week, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. We'll be right back.